0: work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world.
1: Welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schneck, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood from Music City USA. My friend, I'm looking forward (laughs) to this conversation. Howdy. Yes, we're
2: going to be talking all about storytelling with Karen Eber. Hi, Karen. How are
0: you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, Do you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself, like where you are now and what you do?
0: Yeah. So I work with global corporations on helping them shape leadership development, culture, and team effectiveness. And I do this from 20 years of experience working with companies like Deloitte, GE, and Hewlett-Packard, where I was inside those companies driving talent agendas. So Most recently at GE, I was leading culture globally for 90,000 employees in 150 countries. So I've learned some tricks of the trade (laughs) that do include storytelling.
1: Well, what is culture? That's one of those phrases, one of those terms that we throw around in business that if you walked around this hall and said, define culture, business culture, you would get a lot of different answers. And it's one of those things that that's part of the problem with it. It's also part of the opportunity with it. How does Karen think? How do you define culture?
0: What you said about the problem and the opportunity is exactly where I like to focus because culture is everyone's experience of how work is done. I love to talk to organizations that culture is the worst behavior a leader is willing to accept. Because once you let a behavior happen, then that shows it's okay and it's accepted and tolerable. So to me, culture is all of these moments each day of how we interact, how work gets done, what we encourage or discourage. And that is why everyone's definition is different. And that's why it's so hard, because it makes you have to really engage with leaders to help them realize you are shaping this every day with your teams. And it's going to be up to you to make sure you're setting the right tone.
2: Yep. It starts right at the top.
0: And at the bottom. I think that's the misnomer everybody has. So it's a
2: circle. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think everybody looks up to the C-suite to say, what is our culture? Demonstrate our culture. And you absolutely need a leadership team that is role modeling the behaviors you want to see. But it's the day-to-day experience If you think about it in a company, you can have one team that has a phenomenal experience and you can have another team that's struggling and that comes down to the leader in the environment they create. They all share the same culture in the same company, but the culture on their team and the day-to-day environment that they live that makes them decide whether they stay or leave, that's unique to the team and that's what they can take advantage of and ultimately shape each day.
1: Well, you said something really important that I think someone might miss if they are listening, is you have to engage with leaders. And I think most people work and exist in an organization where it's a top-down. They expect the leaders to engage with them and give them orders. Most people would say, oh, how do I engage with my leader? Am I allowed to do that? Am I empowered to do that? Talk about that.
0: Yeah, well, this is what work human is all about, right? Bring the human to work and let people be people. If you assume that leaders are going to have all the answers, what you're only doing is reinforcing control. And I like to give the example of if you're making a fire and you stack the logs in too tight. You can't get enough oxygen. You can't get a fire and Mm -hmm. it burns out. And so what you have to do is leave enough room for people to come in and be able to influence and try stuff. So you have to make leaders first be aware of what culture they want and reinforce, which means that team needs to talk and work that through and decide what are we going to role model. But then you have to bring that down and allow each team to really figure out how do we work together? What's important to us? What does challenging each other look like? And coming up with almost their own rules of behavior, it's the thing everybody tries to avoid because it's a little uncomfortable if you're not used to talking about it. And most often we've got all of these deliverables and we think we don't have time to do that. But really when you start there and you get some ideas and some groundwork in place, it makes it so much easier to then create a culture and a set of behaviors that you're reinforcing versus having to walk backwards and fix a bunch of things. So you have to get leaders helping people understand they all shape it. It's not just going to come from them.
1: Yeah,
2: I completely agree with It's all democratic. So you're going to see your culture is going to develop at the lower levels on its own. It just might need some guidance from up top to reinforce the positive behaviors that you want to see. Right?
0: Yeah, I love to give an example. If you think of university, so picture Harvard, right? There's a common culture at Harvard. But if you go in the physics department, the culture there is going to be different than if you go into drama. I'm not sure Harvard has drama, but let's say <laughs> they have an arts rate right, and you go into drama. The culture there is different. And if you go into literature, the culture is different. Now, they all share the culture at Harvard, but within the different colleges, there's a different experience there's a different mm-hmm. way that they go about stuff. And it's the same at work. There's a common culture within companies, but it's the specific teams in that environment that's going to dictate what someone's day-to-day is, whether they're engaged, whether they quit and stay Which is worse than probably quitting in general.
2: So we've done a lot of research through the years and through our platform that we have the values of a company. So let's say it's empathy is one of the values. We try and reinforce those behaviors that align with that value. And we find out that the more people are recognized for the positive attributes that you're bringing to a company culture, the more likely they are to stay. At that company. We've had numerous studies about that. I could make up a stat off the top of my head, but it would be false. But we've just seen that throughout the years, just in all of our clients, that you just reinforce that positive behavior and that positivity in the culture, and it will take care of itself.
0: Yeah, there's research I believe out of Stanford that talks about four ways you can intentionally shape culture is through the use of stories, mm-hmm. talking about heroes, implementing rituals and shared values. And all of those are communicating to your organization or your team, this is what we want more of. This is what great looks like and do more of this.
2: So let's talk a little bit more about stories because I'm very interested in stories because I meet lots of people and you may forget somebody's name, but you don't forget a story if they told you a story. So why is storytelling so important to communicating, like, shared purpose in organizations?
0: Yeah, well, I started in my role at GE, where I had 90,000 employees, 150 countries, where I'm responsible for both culture and leadership development, and that's massive undertaking. Both of those things require each person to stop and reflect, what does this mean to me? And then decide, how do I want to act? Just because someone stands on a stage and says, our values are trust, accountability, tolerance, transparency, doesn't mean that I even live them until I have the chance to think about it. Same for leadership behaviors. So I was trying to think, how do I create this reflection and intention for such a large global population? A classroom's a great place to do it because it gets you out of your day-to-day job. But realistically, we're not getting that many people in the classroom. And even if they're there, they may not have that chance. So I started to think, how do I do this on the job? And I started using stories. I started writing leadership blogs that introduced moments that you would experience on a team or a leader. I used a lot of my mistakes. I've used things that I've encountered working with teams. And each one would focus on one of these moments. And I would write out the story put the impact of what happened and then some suggestions. What happened was fascinating where it did not matter where people sat in the world. It didn't matter their generation. It didn't matter their gender. They started emailing me because they felt like this person has now communicated with me. It felt like a really personal interaction. And we started to see a different type of discussion on Teams. And I started to see where people were reflecting and setting intention So to me, it was truly a way to start the conversation, to impart new thinking, and to allow for that reflection and intention to take place.
1: I still feel that there's still too much management that discourages that activity because they're afraid of negative stuff getting out there. You just mentioned, amongst many things, sharing mistakes. We just heard a keynote this morning from Kat Cole where it was all about her mistakes and how that made her ultimately a better leader. And server people better. So, what do you say to a management team who kind of discouraging this activity? How do you get them to understand the real power behind this?
0: Well, we all have Brené Brown to thank because all of her talking about vulnerability and the acceptance of that at work helps. But I work with a lot of CEOs and they are often men and sometimes in European countries that are not comfortable at all being vulnerable, just not a part of their culture. To push them to understand you have to be vulnerable and give a little bit of yourself helps. What I start to do is I give them stories of, I can point to people they've heard. And when people are telling stories about where they're the hero, and that's all they talk about, you can ask them, what is your reaction to that? And they say, well, they're only self-promoting. They're only telling about themselves. And so then you start to show them other examples where someone made a mistake and they realize, wow, I feel a stronger connection to this person and I appreciate them sharing. So I use stories to illustrate the power of it. And then I try when I'm working with teams to have them share with each other. One of the most amazing things I found when I'm working with a team on how to build this muscle of storytelling, they come out stronger Because they've now been vulnerable in front of each other, sharing lessons of their mistakes. And it's this amazing team building experience that wasn't the initial intention, but it comes out in such a great way. So I try to find low risk ways for them to tell a story where they're sharing something that might feel a little uncomfortable so that they then see the huge impact that they get in return.
1: So uh, when we wrap up here in studio, you're going to head over and deliver a presentation. What are you going to be talking about?
0: I'm going to be talking about storytelling and how you use it. I am not the first person to talk about the power of storytelling, and I don't pretend to be. What I find when I look at all of those different articles on the neuroscience and different people that promote it is there's a lot on why storytelling is powerful but not a lot on where you find stories and how to tell stories.
2: Yeah, yeah, go into it. Into yeah, they're
0: phenomenal models. If you're a Star Wars fan, you might know <laughs> The Hero's Journey, <laughs> which is this really elaborate seven, eight, 10 step way of telling a story. I think it's great. I love the Star Wars movies. I don't think that's realistic for business because we will spend hours tinkering with PowerPoint to get the graphics just so get the words on the page exactly how we want. And we spend maybe five minutes thinking about how we're going to deliver it and bring it to life. <laughs> If you have the hero's journey as a model, you'll go two steps into it, get confused, not sure where to go, lose your story, and abandon it. There's also Pixar. Pixar is another great storyteller. Their model is once upon a time, one day, and then this happened, and then this happened.
2: Sounds like my three year old exactly. a story. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have
0: this until finally, again, great model, not realistic. What I talk about sounds so profoundly simple, but it's memorable and it gets people trying to tell stories, which is a story has three parts. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. Sounds so basic, I know, but the beginning is the context the middle is the conflict, the end is what happens. And so what I do is I work with people to build a toolbox of stories from their experiences. And then I have them write out a sentence for each of those. And it tightens the story and gives people a takeaway that when they're walking down the hall to the meeting, they can think, I want to start with a story. What's my beginning? What's my middle? What's my end? And all of a sudden, it's a much more powerful opening than just opening a PowerPoint and diving in.
1: A story doesn't have to be a 2-hour epic, right? It can, you know, your model, this beginning middle and end can be delivered in a tweet. It can be shared in an elevator ride. I it mean, it could be th- a
0: metaphor. Yeah. It could be a picture. I talk about Hemingway had six-word stories. One of them is for sale baby shoes never worn. You could take that in 20 different directions.
2: So it
1: it's really bringing me yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I
0: know. It was the one I remembered.
1: Um,
2: but Debbie Downers the, on the podcast What I'm trying today.
0: to help people with is just a way to start to think about how can I do this and develop this as a muscle versus trying to take a really elaborate model that I abandon halfway through because I'm not quite sure where I am on the journey. Once people start to do this beginning, middle, and end, you can deepen those skills and do more and more. But this, you'll remember, and walking down the hall, you can tell a type. Story.
2: So I have a family friend that, well, it's my mother in law's neighbor, that whenever he comes over, he starts a story, and I just know it's going to be awful for the next 10 minutes because it's boring. And he just drones on and on. How can I help him in a polite way to tell better stories? Like, how can you stop people from telling boring stories?
0: Yeah, or the same stories, right? Oh. <laughs> we all have the uncle at the holiday table that you're looking for the mute button. The first thing is just to find stories and so what I talk to people about is look in your own experiences. If you start to make a list of your first job, your best team, your worst team, best advice you got, when you start to make this list, you realize you have a really lengthy list of ideas that you can draw from to tell a story. Or I'm a fan of taking people on your journey, which is just talking about things you're experiencing. I was meeting with a leader of mine. He mentioned he needed to go apologize to someone. He's shared how he was going to go about it. And He didn't sit down to say, Karen, let me teach you how to apologize to someone. He just was sharing what he was facing. And through that, I got nuggets that I start to apply all the time. And so what I try to do with people is instead of telling a rambling story the way we might in social settings, think about something that is a bit of information you want to communicate and start there. Once you have the idea, you can then start to tell beginning, middle and end.
1: All right. Well, speaking of stories, you need to go to your presentation and teach others how to do this. So we're going to let you go before we let you go. Should anyone need to connect with you, learn more about your work, or ask you any questions, how do they find you?
0: Yep. You can go to my website, Karen Eber, dot com.
1: Karen Eber, a culture and leadership development strategist. Karen, it's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us.
0: Thank you. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020.